Hello and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fan. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fan. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. I sure do love praising the Lord with you guys, huh? Anybody else feel that way? Hey, you know, I think about sometimes we're going to do that for eternity. You know, we're going to do that for eternity. And it's going to be wonderful, isn't it? And I'm going to sing good when I get there. I'm going to sing good when I get there. I'm looking forward to that. Um, because I love to sing. I love to sing his praise. He's been so good. To, anybody else can say he's been so good to you? If you have your Bible, go ahead and make your way tonight to Romans chapter number 12. We're going to just sort of build on the foundation that God set in our hearts this morning based on one of his attributes, one of his character qualities. And that character quality or attribute we looked at this morning is, come on, say it like you mean it, mercy, mercy. And uh, here in the South, we say mercy, but we use it a lot of different ways, don't we? And, and yet this morning we looked at um, scripturally, what does it mean that God is a God of mercy? And uh, as we talked about this morning, uh, the people and what they had done and how they had <clears throat> not really been what they were supposed to be. In their part of the covenant relationship, they'd not held up their end of the deal. Uh, they'd not stayed close to God. They'd not uh, kept from wandering and worshiping other gods and intermingling and all the things. In other words, they'd blended in and just become average. And God did not want an average people. God desires a people that are set apart and different and holy and for his own wonderful pleasure. And so tonight we're going to continue looking into that and this idea of, of mercy. And I, I want to say this to you. I had a conversation with somebody this morning, and I want to share with you some of the things that sometimes I pray right ahead of time uh, to preach. Oftentimes, if you'll ever look over there and I'm holding my Bible in my hand, I like to place my hand on top of my Bible and just hold it up before the Lord for just a minute in front of me. And I begin to pray. I pray all different kinds of things, but it's always at that particular time about the word being released. And uh, oftentimes I pray this. Now, you're going to find it strange, but here's what I pray. I pray oftentimes, Lord, like arrows in your bow, would you penetrate the hearts of us, our, your people? Now, when you think about that, you say, well, wait a minute now. I didn't, uh, you could have been a lot of places this evening. And now you know as you're sitting in your chair that I pray God would pierce your heart with an arrow. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad you came? And, uh, but not for the purpose of damaging and harming, but for the purpose of building up and encouraging and bringing us to the place where we're really experiencing the fullness of joy and knowing Jesus and walking with him. And so I pray that every time. And I, you know what? I, the, the person said to me, said, I was, uh, said that we were going to join this morning, but the word pierced my heart. That's what I said. But the word pierced my heart in such a way I couldn't come down. I had some other things I had to just sort of deal with with me and God. And uh, I said, would you believe that's what I prayed for? He used that word. And I said, that's what I prayed for, that God would pierce our hearts like an arrow from his bow uh, from the pulpit to my heart, and to yours. Isn't it interesting? You can be the one delivering the arrows and they'll still come penetrate your own heart. Isn't that neat? And uh, I'm thankful that I'm a work in progress and God's still doing a, a work in me. So Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at just a couple of verses together tonight. <clears throat> Any of you tired and weary from the weekend? I- anybody get a nap today? I got a little 30 minute or man, I'm telling you, it just is a lifesaver. Well, that was a lifesaver right there. And uh, I didn't even fight it. Usually I fight it and I think I'm going to miss something, but I said, nah, ain't going to be none of that. And so uh, I encourage you to rest on the Sabbath day, the day that we've set apart to worship the Lord. I'm going to encourage you that way. Um, Our bodies aren't made to go every single day, all day. 
There needs to be a time. God, God said that we're supposed to rest. It honors God when we rest. And did you know that you're a better version of you when you rest, when you get good rest? And so I pray that you would do that. Make it a priority in your life on one day a week, all right? Romans 12, beginning in verse number one. The Apostle Paul's taught a lot of doctrine in the book of Romans, one of my uh, favorite doctrinal books. It teaches a lot about salvation. You remember the flow of things as Paul deals with uh, the fact that the, uh, that the Jews are not right with God because, simply because they're Jews. <clears throat> and I'm summing up a lot of doctrine in some very simple general statements. Um, he said to the, Jew, the, the, the Gentiles, rather, the non-Jews, that they weren't right with God because they didn't have any moral competence. They just did whatever felt right to them and, and basically summed it up by saying the only hope either one has, Jew or Gentile, is Jesus. He's our only hope. Can I tell you tonight, Jesus is our only hope. But that's not a sad statement. That's not a limited statement. Although it's very singular, it is unlimited because Jesus is unlimited in power and unlimited in mercy and grace, and he's able to save to the uttermost whosoever will call on his name. And so there's a singular path that's it's so it's unlimited in power because, well, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so tonight, I want to just dive in and, and pick up, if we can, here in chapter 12, he's going to talk about then uh, an urging of his, of his people. Uh, he's talking to brother. He's going to say brethren, which means he's referring to believers, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. They've been converted, if you will. Uh, they no longer are Old Testament saints that are believing uh, or Old Testament people who are going according to the law and the ritual systems, but these people have come to faith in Jesus. And so these are his fo fellow followers of Christ. And he says to them, uh, I urge you something. Anybody ever urged you to do something? Can you think about right now where you're sitting, somebody that has urged you to do something? Uh, I think sometimes Tina urges me to do something. Uh, sir, has your wife ever urged you to do something? And so that's funny, like the wives are like, you better not say nothing. And uh, or we had a great weekend, and you're about to foul it up right here on Sunday night. Uh, urged you, right? That's a strong, emphatic word. It's not like a asking. It's more than that. It's a, it's a begging, if you will. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pleading with, with your whole heart, your whole mind. And uh, I always, I joke around about this, but I'll tell you a great example of urging is on the cereal aisle with little children. Won't they urge? They'll urge you, and they can be convincing. Would you agree with me? Now, honest to goodness, have you ever just said, get the Cocoa Pops and just stop doing what you're doing? Anybody ever fallen in a weak moment like that? Okay, good. I thought I was the only one. There have been weak moments where I said, just get the Cocoa Pops, all right? Just get them, and we'll move on. It'll be all right. And that's not good parenting, right, because I folded to their, to their desires. But, you know, sometimes, woo, you get tired. And so tonight, I want us to think about uh, what is Paul urging the family of God to do? And, and I want you to think, too, in terms of what is he asking them to do, but then also the why, the motivation. Why is he asking them to do this thing? Because motivation has a lot to do with how you and I will do something, right? In other words, let me say it to you like this. Uh, if I'm motivated by my own desires, I'm very likely to do the thing. Would you agree with that? I will say it to you like this. What we want to do, we do. And so motivation is very, very critical, right, in, in moving forward and doing and acting. So tonight, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. And let's read Romans chapter 12, a familiar passage. Um, but I want us to make application because this morning's message being specifically on the mercy of God. And let's build upon that and see what God does in our hearts and lives. Beginning in chapter 12, verse number 1. I beseech you. And therefore, that's urging. That's the pleading. That's the cereal aisle. That's uh, more than just, hey, would you. 
I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Then he begins to describe it, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, rational, only makes sense type of service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the will of God? We're going to answer that here in just a moment. Reading forward just a little bit, I want us to go down just into verse number three. It says, therefore I say through the grace given to me uh, to everyone who is seeing among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, uh, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure. Somebody help me of faith, a measure of faith. So would you bow your head with me for just a moment and let's just take just a second and ask the Lord to help us. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you for the opportunity tonight to preach your blessed word. I thank you, Lord, that just like arrows out of your mighty bow, uh, I pray that you'd send them out now from this pulpit, but Lord, also not to the hearts of all these people only, but to mine also. And Lord, I know not the intent of your heart is not to harm and destroy us, but those arrows make their mark. When they hit their mark, Lord, you make transformation in our lives. So I pray in Jesus' name that I would be simply your instrument tonight, uh, your mailman, your, your mouthpiece. Lord, that you would preach through me tonight, and I pray as you do that. Uh, God, you steady all our hearts. Uh, you, you remove every distraction. Uh, you tune our ears in that we would hear the question Isaiah asked the, the people this morning, uh, that you had asked that of us. Who, who here will listen? Who, who among us will really hear and listen to what you have to say to us individually? So help us to do that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now then, as we're being seated, I want to just sort of, if I could, direct your attention, all right, back to verse number one. And tonight, we're just going to sort of work through these things. And the main idea is, I just want you to write this, uh, two words, mercy motivates. Mercy motivates. So I've already let the cat out of the bag, hadn't I? Uh, talked about he's asking us to do something. He's asking them to do something. The same thing he's asking them to do, God is also urging me and you to do. But before we talk about the what, let's talk about the why, okay? Why should we do what the Holy Spirit is, is, is urging and begging almost through Paul? Uh, why should we do that? And he says, he says, first of all, who's he talking to? He's talking to the brethren, so we know it's the family. He's urging, he's asking something very powerful, very, very strong, and he ask the question or he says that I'm going to ask you something but it is going to be according to the mercies of God and so this morning we talked about the great truth that God has been merciful to us you'd agree with that um, things that you and I have done uh, we have escaped the wrath of God uh, there's a word you'll see that in the New Testament used a lot those who have escaped uh, right and we think about what is it that we've escaped we've escaped the corruption of the world uh, we've escaped the here it is the wrath of God now, here's the, here's the question. See if you're listening this morning and your nap didn't mess it all up. Clearly, reboot everything, all right? Here's the question. Um, does that mean then that we never face any consequences on our sin, uh, because of our sin? No, mercy doesn't mean there are no consequences. Remember this morning, we talked about some very deep truth, and that is that the punishment of God is not, the consequence that we have in this life based on our decisions is not God's wrath. Not for the child of God. Wrath is eternal punishment. It's poured out. It's, 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 it is a scary thing. It's, Paul says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So mercy is not, is not that we don't have consequences to our sin, um, but it is that we'll never face the wrath of God. 
So the mercy, because I'll never face God's wrath, we should do something. So number one in your outline, I want you just to write, be a living sacrifice. Would you just write that? Be a living sacrifice. We've been talking a little bit, as you write, I'm going to talk. We've been talking lately about uh, investigating and checking the word out on this idea of the scent lifestyle. Not salt life, but scent life. And not scent like scratch and sniff stickers, right? But the scent life as in God has sent us. And we looked at that and we began like a week or two ago when Isaiah said he looked at the holiness of God and he looked at his own sinfulness and he was undone. He was, his, his, his idea of who he was was completely destroyed and God did something about it, touched him with the coal. And for us, we can relate. When we look at the holiness of God and our sinfulness and God did something about it, his name is Jesus. And when we look at that, it motivates us, right, to say, man, God has been so merciful. Here am I, send me. Now, I want to go back and touch on that Isaiah 6 because in that, in that explanation of what happens in Isaiah's life, I've always found it very interesting that Isaiah doesn't say, well, I'll send me if, well, first of all, tell me where I'm going. Or will there be air conditioning when I get there? Now, uh, we laugh about that, but the honest to goodness truth is that uh, America has spoiled us. And because of that, it's uh, the poison of plenty has messed up our response to the mercy. And so we, we sort of conditionally respond to the mercy. Uh, we say, man, God's been so merciful to me, I'll go, on, I'll go where he sends me as long as there's air conditioning there and as long as there's no threat to my life and it's safe, you know, make sure everybody's scouted, there's no danger. And uh, I don't know where we got the idea that, that, that this life is not supposed to, we're supposed to only carry the gospel to places where it's safe and comfortable. And that's not, you don't find that in the scripture. And, and so we, we, I'm telling you, America's caused us to be very condition-based in our response to mercy. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about a very, very radical, a very complete, a very total turning over of oneself as a sacrifice. Dying on the altar to your agenda, to our plans, to our goals, dying on the altar, to our selfishness and our ways, and that living sacrifice, being alive in Christ and saying, now everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. My emotions are yours. My, my money is yours. My everything I have is yours, God. And change how I think about it. Help me to see how I can use it to reach other people and to bless other people and encourage other people and bring them along on this journey. So be a living sacrifice. Now, the mercy of God is the motivation. Would you write that in your notes there somewhere? His mercies are motivations to be that living sacrifice. And so someone asked me one time, why do you do the things that you do? I said, oh, because I'll never face the wrath of God. It's a very simple answer for me. I don't know about you, but I don't have to do a whole lot of thinking, a whole lot of researching and studying. I know exactly why uh, I do the things that I do for the Lord. It's because I'll never face his, his wrath. And, and I should. I should face his wrath. You ever thought about what life would look like for you if you got what you deserved? It scares me. I, I, I think about that sometimes. Man, my goodness. Uh, and, and then can you just for a minute think about, because I know it's hard for us to do, but imagine eternity for just a minute. If when you died and forever starts, because this is just a little temporary sprint. If you get to be 150, you're not. But if you did, a little speck on the map. But on the journey of eternity, can you imagine what that would look like if it weren't for the mercy of God? Utter darkness, can't see your head in front of your face, lake of fire, fire that burns in darkness, and you still have the wound of sin, but you can't get away from it. 
And man, aren't you glad God's been merciful to help me and you avoid that? Hallelujah. It motivates us to say, here am I, send me. See, a living sacrifice is one who lives the sent lifestyle. I'm here, Lord. My time is yours. Now, that means somebody asked me one time, now, when I hear you say that, I, I, you know, I got to go to work. I said, exactly. But the problem is you think that you're going to work and really you're being sent to work. And if you'll just change that, you're, you'll find out your work is a mission field. You don't have to get on an airplane and go across the oceans and you, you can just get in your truck and your car and go to work Monday and say, Lord, here I am, send me a living sacrifice. Now you're gonna have to sacrifice some things. You're gonna have to sacrifice uh, comfort sometimes, pleasure sometimes, safety sometimes. That's what he's saying. Paul's saying to his people, listen, you guys have got to understand that God's been so merciful. Your response to that should be, here's my life, send me. Take it, use it, whatever it is. I love the fact that Isaiah said, send me. He didn't say, where are we going? All right, let me move on if I can. Now, there's a couple of things about this living sacrifice that Paul describes here, and we've been through this passage before together, and he uses two descriptive words here as a living sacrifice, meaning that uh, we dead to ourselves, but we're alive in Christ. And then there's two words he says, holy and acceptable. <clears throat> now, if you just write a little number one, and a holy sacrifice is a sacrifice that is not an average sacrifice. A holy sacrifice is not one that's like the average Joe. It's not like every other person. It's not like uh, uh, the common response. A holy sacrifice, a sacrifice that is above, a, a sacrifice that's in a category. All this. Let me ask you something. Do, do you believe this evening that your sacrifice to the Lord, your living sacrifice, your life surrendered in the sent lifestyle? Now, don't answer this outside. Answer on the inside. Do you believe that it is proportional to the mercy that you've been shown? I can say no for me. There's no way that I could ever serve in such a capacity to line up with the great mercy that I have received. And you know what? When I wake up in the morning, his mercy is new again. And so now, listen, I'm not trying to catch up. I'm not trying to pay him off for the mercy that he's shown me. That's not the idea. The idea is not, okay, now I'm going to go and pay God back uh, because of what he's done. No, no. It's a response that says, man, I, God's been so good to me. This is what I want to do. Here's my life. Use me. And by the way, when you're a living sacrifice, you usher others into the mercy of God. Don't you want people to experience the mercy of God? I'm going to ask you something. Do you ever see people and think, man, I hope you never have to face the wrath of God? You ought to. There ought to be something on your mind when you see people. You don't know their names. You run into them in different places. You don't know where they're from. You don't know whether they know Jesus, whether they've ever heard the gospel. And the first thought that ought to strike your mind if you're a follower of Jesus is, man, I wonder, I wonder if they're headed head first, fast forward into, I wonder if they're on the hot road headed toward the wrath of God. And what happens is if that's part of what we're thinking when we see them, you know what it'll motivate us to do? You already know, don't you? To ask them, to take just a little bit of your time and have a gospel conversation, to just care enough to say, hey, you know what? Let me tell you about the mercy of God, if I could, for just a minute. And I'm going to tell you my story and how I deserve the wrath of God and how God has delivered me, and I've experienced mercy because of Jesus. I want to, I want to ask you a question. You can just ask. I just want to ask you a question because, you know, when I saw you at the gas pump, when I saw you over there and whatever and across the cubicle, wherever, when I saw you, I was just wondering, the thought crossed my mind, I just don't want you to ever have to face the wrath of God. And Jesus has taken that wrath, and you don't have to take it. And so, man, I hope that you'll take that this week and have a gospel conversation with somebody. All right, a holy sacrifice. Now, if you're just an average sacrifice, you'll just go to work, you'll do good things for people, and you'll hope they'll see Jesus in you. Anybody out there? It got so silent right there. 
That's what we say. Well, so I'm just going to be, a, this is what people tell me all the time. Now, I know what you say about making disciples, but I'm just going to be a good, nice person. I hope they see Jesus in me. Now, how in heaven's name is you doing something nice for somebody going to cause them to see Jesus? I know a lot of good people that don't know Christ that are, that are separated from God. Good as far as the world standard. Give you the shirt off their back. Do things for you. Before I have given the example, if you live a good and moral life and you leave a person with a good moral example and that's all you ever leave them, they'll try to live to your example and go to hell for their trouble. You've done them more harm than you've done them good. So, yes, the lifestyle ought to be the gospel, but you've got to put some words with it. You've got to explain the good news. Hey, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff, but I want to tell you about the greatest news my ears have ever heard. God sent his son into the world for sinners such as I. And he died on my behalf while I was ungodly. He didn't do it when I got clean. He cleaned me up. He died for me 2,000 years ago, and then he rose from the dead. And now I have relationship with God, and so can you. So can you. Holy sacrifice. All right, second thing he says is an acceptable sacrifice. Now, when you consider this acceptable, uh, what? remember when we go back all the way to Abraham, uh, God wanted a people that were like him. We've heard over in the Old Testament and the New, he said, be holy as I I'm holy. That's why, that's why we're to be a holy sacrifice because, well, we're to, we're to be like our Father. And so we're to be a holy sacrifice. And the acceptable part is that what is acceptable to God is not our leftovers. Now, we just saw that picture, didn't we, recently with two boys. Do you remember their names? Oh, you guys, see, you've been here. You've been coming faithfully. See how God does that? If you'll be faithful to the gathering, he will grow your knowledge in the word and in who he is. And so Cain and Abel, we saw that. Just recently, we looked at that together. And so it's an acceptable sacrifice, all right? So let me just move on, and I'm going to move to number two. Before I do that, I'm going to ask you a question. And the question is, am I, here's a question that would be good for you to write down and wrestle with. Am I a living sacrifice? Is that a good way to describe me? I'm a living sacrifice, I'm sacrificing my way I think. I'm sacrificing the way I live. I'm sacrificing the words that I would normally speak if I didn't know Jesus. Am I sacrificing of my time, talent, and treasure? Am I a living sacrifice? You might answer it this way. Uh, am I living the sent lifestyle or am I just going? Right? So Roman number one is be a living, y'all help me, sacrifice. All right? Now why, if I ask you why, all right, if I came out there and I said, now tell me why. Why should we be living sacrifice? You'd say, what's the motivation? Mercy, mercy. God, show me mercy. I'm not going to face his wrath. I have received mercy. All right, number two in his instruction. Paul says, now, be a living sacrifice. And then in verse number two, he's going to tell him a little more fleshing it out, a little more detail. And so I just want you to write two words, be transformed. Now, we're not born living sacrifices. Do you, do you agree with that? We're not born with a heart that says, okay, God, you direct my steps and you, 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 what's mine is yours and you send me wherever you want me to go and, and I, no, heavens no. If you don't believe it, go st just step out right now, slip down there to the, to the nursery and watch the, watch the little rascals back there, would you? And you'll find out that they're not saying, hey, please, somebody tell me what to do. Somebody please send me, right? Tell me where not to go. I'll, I'll just do whatever you, no, we're born with the opposite of that. Uh, uh, we're born the king of our own hearts, and the king of the, of the heart can't be the sacrifice. Not in our system. Oh, but watch this. In God's economy, the high king became the sacrifice. Wow. So that our lives would not have to be a death sacrifice, but that our lives could be a 
Living, oh, you're starting to put the picture together. A living sacrifice. He died not to make us good, but to make us alive, okay? Let me move forward. Be transformed. Now, a couple of things he says here in verse number two. Uh, and do not be conformed. Two words he uses here, conformed and tra- transformed, all right? So first he tells you what not to do, and then he leads into what you should do. And so he says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, the word there is a word that means to be shaped or molded. Okay, and uh, have you ever, any of you ever done, y'all remember jello molds? Yeah, and, and, and the like, and you put something into a mold and uh, it's liquid or it has no shape, and then when it goes into it and it cools and it sets, uh, you dump it out, that's a good way to put it, right? And when you dump it out, it has the shape of that which you put it into. And the problem is, though, what he's saying here is you are in the world but not of the world. So as you're transversing, as you're going out into the workplace and into the world and people are lost, people are acting lost and immature Christians are acting immature, um, you can't be shaped by them. You've got to be transformed by God so that you'll be an agent of change in their lives. Uh, Too often, wouldn't you agree with me that we get shaped by the world? Somebody said to me one time, Now, uh, I've seen it that people have been shaped by the world's view of things. For instance, uh, I'll give you one, uh, homosexuality. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to look in the Old Testament and the New, okay, to know that God says that's sin. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. It's just so plain and simple. Romans chapter 1, you don't have to go any further. Uh, A little child can read that, and it just explains itself. You don't even need a commentary. You don't have to look into the Greek. You can just look into black and white as it translates into English, and it's just so crystal clear. And so I have seen people, though, who would know differently, and I could, I could pick any number of, of sin, um, but this is a particular thing. And uh, I know a person who, uh, they, this person I, I know, I love, and they, they knew the truth, and they taught Sunday school, and they taught the truths of God's Word. But then when uh, that particular sin came into their family, um, all of a sudden, uh, the stance on it was softened. Now, I don't mean, listen, I'm not talking about treating people mean and pointing fingers and telling them, you know, condemnation. I'm not talking about all that. That's the, condemnation is not the work of the Lord and God's people. Conviction, God will use us for that as we stand on truth, okay? Um, but, but the person, in time, the person said to me this, well, you know, I'm not so sure that that's a sin anyway. I was like, oh. Now, now, what is that? That is conformed. That's put into a mold and coming out looking like something other than what you're supposed to look like. Does that make sense to you? Conformed, okay? It could be about anything. I'm telling you, if, if the Word of God says this is good and the world says this is bad, or if the Word of God says this is bad and sinful and dishonors God and the world says this is good, if the world can change your mind about it, you have been, I have been conformed. Are you seeing the picture? Now, I had a man tell me one time, I'll never let the world change my opinion on these particular things. And he was so angry. He was so angry. And he would talk about this and he would post that. And he said, the world this and the world that and the world this. And I said, what you have failed to realize is that maybe they didn't change, conform your opinion on a truth, but they conformed you into their angry nature. Huh. So he held the stance on the truth but he didn't realize that the world was shaping his attitude and he was no longer gentle and he's no longer kind and loving 
Matter of fact, he was mean and bitter. You don't want to be around him. And man, you don't want to look at the things he's posting. He's just full of wrath and anger. And I'm telling you what happens is we may not conform in the idea of a truth, but we'll conform to an attitude and be mean-spirited and attacking and unforgiving and gossip. Oh, I wish I could just tell you tonight, uh, we are way more conformed than we ever really care to realize. Lord, don't let us be conformed. He said, don't be conformed. You, can't, you and I can't be a living sacrifice if the world is shaping us. Because the world shapes us into our own personal lords. That we can do what we want to do when we want to do it. And, well, that's what a dangerous thing. So be, don't be conformed. Instead, be transformed, right? Uh, little number one under be transformed. Don't be molded by the world. Don't let the world set the plan of your life. Don't let the world set the attitude of your mind. Don't let the world conform and shape how you're going to act and how you treat people. Uh, don't let the world shape how you spend your time. Don't let the world, you, y'all tracking with me? Some of us should just let the world conform our time. We say, I'm not going to spend time, uh, on, I'm going to go to the ball fields, I'm going to do what I, and we let the world shape and conform our time. And so we don't let the world do that, not as God's people. And so the question I ask is myself is some good questions to ask ourselves is, and you know, hey, am I being molded by the world? Well, do I love like most people? You know, sometimes it's the love that I offer that's molded by the world. Did you know that the world has a form of love? But the worldly love is a world that's based on conditions. If you do this, if you do that, if you never hurt me, if you do what I want you to do, then I'll love you. Um, But thanks be to God, that's not his love. Aren't you glad of that? Uh, We'd be hopeless. But his love says unconditionally, no matter what, I love you. So we don't want to be conformed to the world, all right? Another another good question asked, do I serve like most people? You know, what's my level of commitment and service to the Lord? Do I, how about this one? Uh, Some of us have allowed the, the, the world to conform our forgiveness. We say, I'm not going to forgive. I had a man tell me this not too long ago. He said, my daddy didn't forgive and I'm not going to forgive. And I said, man, that's, uh, that's letting the world conform instead of letting the word and the spirit transform from one thing to another. Metamorpho is the Greek word for transformation. It is where we get metamorphosis, uh, right? It's the process like we see a caterpillar become a butterfly. And there's something radically different, change. All right, so let me just sort of read along if I can, all right? Uh, number two, it, we said under this be transformed, Roman number two, little one, do not be molded to the, by the world. But number two, be transformed by God. So look at his, what he says here. Uh, he says, uh, based on mercy, be a living sacrifice. Don't let the world conform you because if the world conforms you, you will not be a living sacrifice. Hey, listen, if the world is shaping me and you, it'll be all about us. And we won't give of our time. And we won't give of our talent. We won't give of our treasures. Or if we do, it'll be begrudgingly. It won't be a joy. It won't be because I have a personal relationship with the God who's given me grace and mercy. All right? Number two, be transformed by God. Now, let's just read back in verse two. And do not be conformed to the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a transformation that can happen in my life. And by the way, uh, wouldn't you say that? If you're walking with Jesus any amount of time, would you say that you already have been transformed? Yes. How many of you can say when you look at your life, you really can't believe where you are? Anybody? I'm in a good way. I look at my life and I can't believe this. I'm not in jail. I'm not in jail. I'm not dead somewhere because of stupid decisions. I'm just, I'm still floored by that. And I pray I stay that way till he brings me home. Um, And so we we look at our lives and there's this transformation that's happened. But listen, it's not a one-time thing. It's a process of being transformed for the rest of our days. And that sure does give me hope because there's a lot about me that still needs to change. Is anybody else in the house honest to say that tonight? 
there's still so much about me that, that needs to be transformed. And listen to where he says this all begins. All right, I want you to look with me. He says, it all begins by the renewing, y'all help me, of, help me, what does he say? The mind, a renewing of the mind. I want you just to consider that for just a moment. What does that mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? I want you to think for just a minute. Look back, verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How does the transformation happen? By renewing of your mind. Why? Why is the mind so important in the transformation? Why is it so important that God would say that your mind has to be renewed before the transformation is going to happen? Because the scripture says very clearly about how we think. It says it this way, as a man thinks, so is he. Meaning this, whatever is on my mind and how I think about something translates into what I do. Uh, you think that that chair will hold you. How do I know that? You sat down in it. And if you didn't think it would, you'd have picked another chair, right? If we were to loosen some bolts up and lean that thing over on its side a little bit, take the padded part off and kind of prop it, you know what you do? You'd skip that one. You know why? Because your mind would think that thing ain't going to hold me. And you will, that's what you're going to do. As a man thinks, so is he. Isn't it interesting how we can make our minds up and how unchangeable our minds can be? You ever, you ever, you ever had this thought or maybe you just know somebody, probably not you, but maybe you know somebody. Who says, well, this is just the way I am. I've, have you ever heard, heard this before, said it before? I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind. Boy, that's a dangerous spot, isn't it? Unless it is rooted in the truth of God's word and, and it's a word from God and then you've settled your mind on that, then I'd say hang on to it like a bulldog on a bone. But if it's a perspective, if it's just a perspective based on being one particular ethnicity, one particular gender, one particular location, if your perspective is based on those things that you like and what you understand, I would say to you, be very careful to not pick battles and fight wars and make enemies based on your limited perspective. Um, ask the Lord to broaden your mind, help you to understand and see things. Here, here's what I say. Uh, I believe a great sign of maturity is a changeable mind, that we can sit down and talk about things and you know, you can explain to me um, why you don't like tomatoes, and I don't understand that at all, but, but an open mind says, okay, you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of believe that for a minute because, listen, those things, one of them's not wrong and one right. They're just different. They're just different. So uh, be transformed by God by the renewing of our mind. Uh, part of that re renewing of our mind is, is uh, write this word down somewhere in your notes there. It is, uh, it's humility. It's, it's asking uh, this question, uh, the scripture that says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but uh, emptied himself and became of no reputation, came down to earth as a bondservant and was obedient, became obedient to the point of death, but not just any death, even the death of the cross. And so the mind of Christ said this, you're worth enough, I'm putting you ahead and I'm humbling, cumbling, coming down, God becoming a bondservant uh, so that you and I could be forgiven. And we're not, a lot of times we're not willing to do anything to step down in rank or position for the betterment of others. And so it's a mind, transforming of the mind, humility. It says, I want to hear what you have to say. I want you to tell me, even though I don't get it, tell me why you don't like tomatoes, you know? 
I'm going to just sort of listen for a minute, you know, and I may not at the end even say, well, that's a great, I believe that now, I'm changed now, you know. But, uh, but at the same time, now I know I'm picking something kind of silly, but there are a lot of things in life that aren't so silly that we get aggravated about. And we let be a dividing line. So transformed uh, by the renewing of our mind. My mind is no longer prideful and boastful, but in Christ, my mind is humble and willing to listen and to be uh, used in somebody else's life. But also the scripture says for us to think on those things that are pure. And so I would say not only the transforming of the mind, the renewing of the mind to a humble mind, from a prideful mind to a humble mind, but also from a mind that is wicked and, and bent on wrong to a mind that is meditating on things that are holy, righteous, and pure. And when our mind begins to be renewed by those things and God allows humbleness to be part of how we think, well, then it begins to be how we live and we're transformed. We become, listen, well, I've got ahead of myself. I've got to slow down. So a question before I move to finally number three, all right? Number, finally, the question that I ask is, talking about being conformed or transformed. Here it is, you ready? And this is one that I put in my notes, and I'm, I'm just sort of, I, I pray to ask myself this every day. Am I more today like Jesus or Adam? Jesus said, I'll put you first, and I'm going to empty myself and go down and take on the form of a bond servant. Adam said, I'm going to disregard God's command, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and that looks like a lot of series of decisions, doesn't it? It looks like a series of days, you know, days happen and you got moment by moment, decision by decision. And we get to sort of look and if we're not careful, the scripture says, let a man examine himself to see if he's in the faith. I think it's good for us sometimes to just evaluate. Uh, at the middle of the day, hey, listen, so far, all right, have I looked more like Adam on 49 or, or Jesus? I like that. Somebody said, oh me. Not amen, but oh me. <laughs> but hey, you have to admit it's easier now. There aren't those, looks like, it doesn't look like Fallujah, Iraq anymore, you know, with all those cones and concrete and everything. Um, but do I look more like Adam at work or like Jesus? Uh, another area that I ask myself, when, when I'm at home with Tina and, 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 and Anna Grace, am I, do I look more like Adam at home or, or like Jesus? And so that's where I can begin to really investigate, am I being conformed or transformed? Okay, y'all with me? Everybody okay? Are y'all ready to land the plane? Somebody said that means we've got about 20 more minutes. Here it is, all right. Now, Romans 12 and verse number two, just moving into verse number three, okay? Um, he says, uh, verse number three, rather, I just want to talk about that again. Again, don't think of yourself. Isn't it interesting that after he talks about this uh, living sacrifice, be, be, don't be conformed, but be transformed, renewing of the mind. And then verse three says, for I say, thought, though the grace given to me, uh, to everyone among you, not to think of himself, there it is, more highly than he ought to. You know the one thing that'll keep me and you from being a living sacrifice? Thinking too highly of ourselves. That's beneath me. I can't set up tables. I can't, I can't clean commodes. I can't, I can't do all that. I can't, set up, I can't do all that. I can't go out in the heat and do that. That's, that's, somebody else gonna need to do that. I'm, I'm too uh, important to do that. So don't, he said, that's what he says. Don't, don't, think, don't think of yourself too highly. Uh, we need to be reminded that we're just, man, listen to this. We are capable of doing anything. Did you know that about me and you? If we distance ourselves from God, you'd be shocked at what you're capable of doing. He said, wait a minute, I'm saved. I know you're saved, but if you cut yourself from the lifeline, you don't abide in Christ. You don't stay nourished in the word or gathering with the people of God and surrender to the Holy Spirit. You, I'm telling you, you'll find yourself doing things that make you scratch your head. Have you ever done that? You know, you ever drifted before and you look up and say, I can't believe I'm still able to do something like that. 
So we have to be close and, and clean. All right, so here we go. Verse number two, he says, and do not be conformed by this, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that, y'all help me, you may prove. Now, proving is proof. So number three, write this down. Here's where we're going to close. Transformation, all right, when you're transformed and not conformed, conformed, you look like everybody else. You don't stand out. You're just the average person. You lose your temper. You're unforgiving. You don't love people. You don't sacrifice. And so you look like every other average selfish individual in America. You just blend in, look like everybody else. But when you live the transformed life as a living sacrifice, you stand out. You stand out. Matter of fact, you'll find people want to be around you. And because you're kind and you're helping and you're being a blessing and you're generous and you're praying for folk and you're, I'm telling you. So, so he says, uh, transfer, here's what I want you to write. Number three, transformation is observable proof. When a life is transformed from selfish to selfless, people take notice. People take notice. Now, what is it that is proving? Read with me the end of verse number two. So that you may prove what is that good? So we know whatever it is that we're proving is good. We know it's acceptable. We know that whatever it is is perfect. And what it is is the will of God. Your life will be observable proof of the will of God. Now, the question then poses itself. Isn't it logical then we should ask ourselves, what is the will of God? What is Paul alluding to that the transformation by the renewing of my mind to humility, not thinking too highly of myself, and thinking on those things that are pure and selflessness and letting the spirit live through me, the transformed life. What is it that is on display? What will is on display? Here it is, you ready? It is the will of God that desires that all people would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the will of God. God is not, stated this way, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, how's that will put on display? Uh, people see that a life that could not transform itself has now been transformed. A life that used to blend in has now, and now stands out. He's, he or she's different. And they begin to pose questions and then, and then they, they, they hear this name Jesus and they begin to, and they say, oh, well, what they say must be true because I have observed the proof that God is able, he's willing, and he's ready for whosoever will to call on his name and be transformed. I don't know about you, but I'm just so thrilled that God is transforming me. And there's still a ways to go, but I'm so thankful. I'm excited for however many more days he gives me here. I'm thankful for the journey. And so tonight, I want us to just take a moment, if we could, and just close in a time of prayer. Could we do that? Would you buy your, I know I'm shocked like you are. I, I know it, I know it, I know it's 651. I don't know what's going on. And so we're just gonna go with it, okay? And uh, someone asked me one time, how do you ever determine how long the sermons are? I just preach to the Lord, just shuts me up, you know? So then, conform versus transform. Where have you been living? Just simply put, where have you been living? How, do I look more like Adam? Or do I look more like Jesus? If I'm honest with you guys, there are a lot of times that I look like Adam. And uh, would you agree with me that a lot of times it's in the attitude of the heart? Adam, his, his, his struggle was he had free will and he thought he knew better. He thought he was wiser. He thought his way was, he could, he could circumvent what God said. And oftentimes, and I mean, you think that way, don't we? 
when God says marriage is supposed to be like this and the husband's role is supposed to be this and the wife's role is supposed to be that and we try to, well, I think I know better. When God said marriage is this, we think, you know, we, we, we try to say society and government says, well, we know better. When God says this is what finances ought to look like and we think we know better. When God says this is what the Christian life ought to look like, you, you should be living the mission, making disciples. And we say, well, I think it should just look like going to church and reading my Bible. And we think we know better. And so today, wouldn't it be great if we just humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God and said something to him like this, Lord, I'm, I'm tired of being conformed by my circumstances, by my situations, by what people say. And Lord, I want you to continue to transform me. Maybe somebody here for the first time needs to call out to Jesus. And as you look at your life, a series of events has led you here. Isn't it interesting? I love how God does that every single time we gather. A series of events has led you here. God's been doing things, little things, revealing himself to you, either wooing you back or drawing you to himself for the first time. And here you are. Now you've heard the good news that God sent his son into the world to die in our place as an atonement, a sacrifice, a payment, if you will. And he died so that we could live. He died instead of us so that we could live. And his dead body was placed in a tomb, and on the third day he rose again. And if you'll believe that in such a way. Now, listen, I'm not talking about just believing in your head. Okay, I believe that. What do I need to do? A belief that leads to an action. And the action is, here it is, hardest thing you'll ever do. It's very simple, but it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It is to, by faith, vacate the throne of your heart. Step down as the CEO. Surrender as the high king of your own life. Turn in your resignation as the boss. And tonight, in a time of repentance, call out to Jesus and say, Lord, I want you to come because of what you've done for me. Come into my life and be Lord of my life. Save me. Forgive my sin. Direct my path. I want to walk with you. And you know what he'll do? Amazingly, he said, no one who ever calls on me will be put to shame. He'll do it. So tonight, I beg you, if that's you, call on the name of Jesus. If you have, maybe your prayer simply needs to be this. God, help me not to be conformed. But God, help me to be transformed. A certain portion of us just need right now to just praise God for the transformation that's happened. I'm looking at some of y'all. I know some of y'all from a long time ago. You ought to right now be just, I mean, just smiling your teeth out. Because God has so radically transformed your life. You stand out, man. Lady, you stand out like a bright, shining light. And that's awesome. God did that. You ought to celebrate that. Right now, you ought to just be weeping tears of thanksgiving and gratitude that he has so radically turned you inside out that you look more like Jesus than you ever have before. Either way, I know this. It's time for us to respond to what it is that we've heard, however we're supposed to individually. So in these next few minutes, whatever the Spirit leads you to do, I just encourage you to do that. You may just want to ease up to the altar and pray. That'd be wonderful. I noticed some couples this morning after the Better Marriage Weekend praying, coming to the altar, praying together for the first time. Boy, you're talking about lighting my heart on fire. But if the Spirit leads you to do that, if the Spirit leads you to, listen, make a response by joining this gathering or following through in baptism or calling on Jesus and making that public, letting us know today you've made Jesus Lord of your life, then please come. Johnny and Miss Beverly are coming to help me. Ladies, Miss Beverly would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. Others are already coming to the altar. You can feel free to do that. Matter of fact, could we stand together for just a minute? Would you stand on your feet with me? And still in a spirit of prayer, respond according to the directing of God's word. Lord, do what you want to do now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.